When I was ordained back in 2005, many of you were there for that. And while, while we're there at the, the ordination service at camp meeting, or they have them at summer impact or summer celebration or Willamette Valley, whatever they have them, whenever they have one of these ordination services, they have a foot washing service that goes along with it. Um, and usually there is somebody there who is a mentor or, or somebody who is very instrumental in your journey that uh, was there to wash your feet. And for me, it was Pastor Robert. Many of you were there. You know that. And, and so it, it's a really big deal to, to be ordained in this whole foot washing and this, it's all taking place. And, and the youth, they, they had created this great big banner and they, they were sitting right up in the front. They held this banner. They, they spread it all out there and stuff like that. I still have that banner at home. I'm a pack rat. I didn't get rid of any of that stuff. I still have that. But, but they were all there, and, and it's a big deal. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm all dressed up, and I, I have a, a suit on. I mean, I literally had a tie on and a jacket and everything and a suit and everything, but I knew my feet were being washed. And so I went up there in my suit and my flip-flops, wearing my slippers and stuff like that. And, and we had the, the whole thing, and you did this foot washing. And I, I believe that we observed the foot washing services during ordination because it shows humility and service. It's to teach those of us who are going into ordained ministry, into this ministry, to always be humble and to be in service of others. And that's what I want us to look at today as we dig into our scripture that Glenda has just read for us in John we're working our way through the series and the final week, looking at Jesus' final week, and we're going to talk about washing feet reveals the one. And as we do that, we're going to examine three people and see what the foot washing reveals about them. And the very first person I want us to look at or to talk about, discuss, is Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed we're not told a whole lot about Judas. We don't hear much about him. About the only good thing was that he was one of the 12 that Jesus had chosen. And then from there, it just kind of goes downhill. It was not a surprise to Jesus. Because Jesus, he would have already been aware because of the prophecies that were found in the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 41, it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted... Who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. In Zechariah chapter 11, it says, I told him, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. The handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. And then there was the time. The time when Jesus was being given a lunch by Lazarus. Lazarus and his sister, shortly after Lazarus, has been brought back to life. Lazarus is there at the table, and Martha is preparing this meal. And then Mary comes in, and she anoints Jesus' feet with a very expensive perfume. Scripture tells us it was about a year's wages. That's how expensive it was. Judas, he reacts to all this and he questions why the perfume wasn't sold so that the proceeds could be provided for the poor and given to the poor. And it's revealed in Scripture that he wasn't actually concerned about the poor at all. 
You see, Judas, he was the, the group treasurer. He was the one that was trusted with keeping the funds. And he was a thief. He had been skimming from the purse. And when he didn't get his way, Judas made up his mind that he was going to betray Jesus. And so he went to the chief priest to, to try to negotiate a deal. They agreed to pay him 30 pieces of silver. Later, when Judas realized that Jesus was actually going to die because of this, he let the guilt get the very best of him. He threw the money back into the temple when the chief priest refused to take it back. And then Judas went out and he hanged himself. And in our passage today, after Jesus finishes washing his disciples' feet, Jesus points to the prophecy that I just read for you that was in Psalm chapter 41. Now in the next section of scripture, just down from where Glenna read in John chapter 13, verses 26 through 27, Jesus reveals that Judas Iscariot is the one who will betray him by giving him a piece of bread. And then Jesus, he does something really unusual. He actually tells Judas to go and do what he has to do. Reminds me of those bracelets that they had years and years ago, the kind of the, the silicone, the little rubbery bracelets that, that had WWJD on them. You know, what would Jesus do? They were very popular for people to wear around. I know they had all kinds of bracelets and other things. And knowing that the betrayer was there with him, was reclining there with him at the table, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus, he included Judas. He actually washed Judas's feet. He could have somehow kind of just kind of skipped over him and kind of missed him or something. But not only that, he shared bread with him, and then Jesus gave him permission to proceed. The second person I want us to look at is Peter, the one who bathed. We know a, a whole lot more about Peter, especially his, his rash, his, his very impulsive nature, always doing things and, and saying things without really thinking them all the way through. And Jesus knew that, that this was going to lead to Peter's denial, just as he knew about Judas's betrayal. Again, it was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 13. It says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I can just picture, picture with me if you will, I can just picture the apostles. They're all sitting around this campfire and, and they're just reminiscing. Jesus has already ascended into heaven and they're, they're reminiscing, they're swapping stories. Maybe filling in some of the gaps for Matthias. You see, Matthias is the one who replaced Judas at some point, this reminiscing, it really turns into more of a, a roasting or a poking fun at Peter. Maybe it's Matthew who started it all out. After all, he wrote all of these events down. I remember that time when we were in the boat and there was this great storm that arose and, and the wind was blowing and the waves, they, they were crashing into the boat. And we were all terrified. And we saw Jesus, and, and he, was, he was walking toward us there on the water. And we thought it was a ghost. And Peter, Peter, he cried out the craziest thing I have ever heard. Jesus, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. 
And of course, Jesus told him to come. And so Peter actually got out and he started walking on the water. And then Mark, Mark chimes in. He says, I remember we used to call him Simon. And Jesus asked us who people said he was. And we told him, some people say a prophet, some say Elijah, some say maybe even John the Baptist. But then Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter. Peter's the one who answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus told us that on that confession, he would build the foundation of his church and not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. And then Thomas jumps in real quick. He says, well, yeah, but then Jesus began to talk about his upcoming death and his burial and his resurrection. And Peter actually rebuked him. Far be it from you, Lord. We won't let you die. And Jesus told him to get behind him. Actually, even kind of called him Satan. And so it went from you are the Christ to get behind me, Satan. And it was, it was that quick. And John speaks up next. He says, I remember that time that Jesus took Peter and James and I. And we went up onto the mountain. And somehow his body, it was transfigured. And then there was Moses and Elijah. And they started talking, and Peter, Peter got all excited, as only Peter could. And he blurts out without him thinking, he says, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles right here on this mountain so that we can all stay here, and we can worship you right here on this mountain. And of course, we heard God respond and tell us to listen to his son. Jesus then told us, make sure you don't tell anyone about this yet. And of course, it had to be Andrew. Andrew pointed out the time. No, not you, Andrew. The other Andrew in the Bible, okay? Andrew's staring at me. Andrew was the one who pointed out the time that Peter actually asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven? Can you believe his nerve? I'm the one that introduced him to Jesus. I mean, sure, we, we had been arguing a little bit that day. But I never thought he would actually go and ask Jesus if he could stop forgiving his brother. I mean, that's me. I was actually right there when he asked Jesus how many times he had to forgive me like I'm some knucklehead or something. And then James pointed out that the night that of Jesus' arrest, that it was Peter. Peter, he was so brave. When Jesus told us that we were all going to fall away, Peter was the one that stood up and he first blurted out, I will never fall away. I would rather die than deny you, Jesus. And, and we all jumped in on his coattails and we agreed with him. But sure enough, by the end of the night, we had all abandoned Jesus. And then we have the interaction that took place in our scripture that was read this morning. And so Jesus, he, he comes around to Peter, and Peter refuses to participate. Are you really going to wash my feet? Never. And so Jesus corrected Peter's fake piety and told him to let him wash his feet, or he would not really have any part with Jesus. He couldn't be part of them. 
And so Jesus, Peter, as he does, he kind of went overboard and jumped away to the other side. Okay, they're not all on my feet, but wash my hands and my head as well. And Jesus assured him that the one who is already bathed is already clean. And you only need his dirty feet to be cleaned. Reminds me of conversations I've had with people over the year who, who are years who, who are considering the relationship with Jesus Christ and where they're at with him, and, and they're trying to decide whether they should be baptized or not. They're afraid of what might happen. What happens if I sin again? Then I might need to be baptized again, or even worse, maybe I'll lose my salvation. I'll be condemned to hell. I believe that Jesus answers that question for us in response to Peter. You were cleaned when you received and when you were baptized. Your body is washed. Your body is risen. Forgiveness, it was already given to you by God. And God assures us that he is faithful and he will forgive us when we continue to confess and when we turn things over to him. And so as we live out our lives, as we live out our faith, and, and we're striving for perfection, we're try, striving to follow after Jesus Christ the very best that we can, we can be assured that God will forgive us and he will restore our relationship, even if we fall, even if we mess things up. All we have to do is ask him for forgiveness, and he will give it to us. And so what would Jesus do? WWJ. D was the one who bathes. He assures them that they are clean. And they simply need to take care of that one spot, that one part that has gotten dirty. At this point, I want us to notice the difference between Judas and Peter. Both messed up. We've already highlighted some of those events. But you see, it was the difference in their reactions when they saw that Jesus was really going to die. Judas, he was filled with remorse. He allowed the guilt to get the very best of him. And so he threw the money back into the temple, and then he went out and he hanged himself. And Peter was likely initially filled with remorse. You see, he had denied Jesus three times. And then he ran off. But you see, he allowed it to become a point of repentance. He was able to be stored by Jesus Christ. He actually affirmed that. Do you love me? Three different times Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And so you've got Judas, the one who betrayed him. You've got Peter, the one who bathed. And now I want us to look at Jesus. Jesus, the one who served. And for obvious reasons, Jesus is the one that we know the most about. And so we're not going to go through all of the different stories that lead up to today's events. But to summarize, we've seen how Jesus has taught. He taught with authorities. Even at the age of 12, he was confounding the religious leaders with his authority and his knowledge of Scripture. But then Jesus, he backed it up with miracles, the things that he could do. He treated the hurting with compassion. And yet he still confronted the self-righteous as was needed. He called them whitewashed tombs, a pit of vipers at times. Jesus was there to serve, but contrast this with the attitude of the disciples. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, they each, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they each tell us about the disciples arguing. 
as they're trying to consider who is the greatest when Jesus becomes the king. In fact, James and John, their mother actually goes up to Jesus and says, hey, will you do me a favor? When you get your kingdom, can one of my sons sit on your right hand and one of my sons sit on your left? It's kind of a bold question and asking, isn't it? But in Matthew chapter 18, it indicates that the apostles, they are already there in Capernaum because of the events that have already happened in chapter 17. The disciples, they asked Jesus, which one of them is going to be the greatest? And Jesus, he calls a child and he puts the child in their midst and then he tells them they need to be humble like a child to be the greatest. Now in Mark chapter 9, it describes the disciples as coming to Capernaum. And then Jesus asked them what they have been discussing. And because the disciples are silent, they're not saying anything, he gathers them together and he tells them they must serve. And then Jesus takes a child and puts the child there in their midst. And he tells them that when they receive a child, they receive him. And when they receive him, they receive God. The same account in Luke chapter 9, it says it doesn't provide the location for the disciples where they're arguing, but it tells us that Jesus, Jesus knows their hearts. And so he takes a child and he sets him by his side, tells the disciples that to receive a child is to receive him and to receive him is to receive God. And then he finishes by telling them they must be the least to be great. And I share that. We had three different accounts of the same thing, and there's some discrepancies there. And I share that because there are some more liberal-minded churches and Christians and maybe even people who don't necessarily believe in the Bible, and they say that we cannot accept this stuff as being true. But basically, they're saying we can never accept this as being historical or being factual because there are some discrepancies in the stories. But imagine... Imagine that you have been called in for jury duty. And the lawyer goes and he's presenting a scenario to all of the possible jurors to see how they're going to respond. They explain that there is a person who has been accused of bank robbery, but that that person had an alibi that they had been at a restaurant with a friend, and at the time that the crime was taking place, and he was eating a pork tenderloin, some onion rings, and a Coke. And so they go and they ask the waitress if she remembers this man. And she says, yes, I remember he was in here on that day. She recalled that he ordered a pork tenderloin and some fries and a Coke. And so they called the friend and they talked to the friend and said, hey, were you with him? And the friend says, yes, I, I was with him on that day. We were, we were at the restaurant and we were eating. And I remember that he ordered a sandwich, some onion rings and an iced tea. Then the question is asked. Can you believe this man's alibis with the differences in their stories? And the response is, yes, you can. See, the basic things, the main things are all there. Been, and so, but they're, they're a little of a difference in the stories because we're different. And we see things differently. We remember things just a little bit differently because we all come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, and we have different ways of seeing things. And so you would focus on different details. You see, if their stories had been 100% exactly alike, 
then you might wonder if maybe somehow they had gotten together ahead of time and had been colluding to somehow cover it up and to tell a lie. But let's get back to today's scripture. Not only did the disciples argue about who was going to be the greatest, they didn't even learn when Jesus gave them an answer. The mealtime came, and there's no servant there in the room with them. It is just Jesus and the disciples, the apostles that are there. They're all reclined at this table, and they've got dirty feet because they've been walking around in the dusty roads. And what would Jesus do in this circumstance? Well, Philippians chapter 2 tells us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus, he gets up, he removes his outer garment, he ties a towel around his waist, and then he proceeds to wash the feet of all the disciples. He dresses and then returns to his place there at the table. And then he goes and he turns that whole event into a teaching moment. Do you understand what just happened here? You rightly call me Lord and Master, for that is what I am. You see, this shows that the disciples, they have submitted themselves to Jesus' authority. They have submitted themselves to his teaching. And even though I am your Lord and teacher, I have washed your feet. I have set the example. You should wash one another's feet. And I don't think that Jesus meant it literally. Otherwise, I could just imagine all the apostles getting up and they're quickly scurrying around trying to wash each other's feet. It would have been a sight to see. I can just imagine like the three stooges or something with all that taking place. But what he meant was he meant it more spiritually. He gives him a reminder that in the grand scheme of things, in the overall picture, the servant is below the master and the messenger is below the sender. Both the servant and the messenger, they operate under the authority of the master, the one who has sent them. And if they want to be blessed, then they will do what it is that they have been called to do, what they have been sent to do. So the question is, what has Christ, what has Jesus sent us to do? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19-20, we have the Great Commission Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So how does a servant pass along the message? You go. And in this scripture, it carries the idea that as you go, wherever it is you're going, I believe serving is a part of that go command. It's what will draw attention. St. Francis of Assisi, he is attributed to have said, preach the gospel daily, and when necessary, use words. You see, once you, you have their attention, once you're serving, you have their attention, it's nece maybe necessary to speak up. 
There are churches who take this, this whole idea of, of service, and it's a wonderful thing. I know even when we had summer celebration and summer impact, that the youth, they would go out and have an afternoon of service where they would go and do things. But, but as you're out serving, and we've done that in this church at times. We've gone out and we've cleaned up the neighborhood, and we've worked at times of cleaning up the school and doing things. But I believe there are times where we may have to speak up or times where we need to speak up. And to let people know that it is the love of God, not only the love of God for us, but the love of God for them that compels us, that motivates us to go out in such a fashion and to serve and to do these things. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Robots. It's an animated movie. If you, if you have, you might be aware of this man, his name, or this robot, his name is Mr. Bigwell. And he has a weekly TV show in which he encouraged inventors to, to come up with the newest and the brightest inventions. And he has a slogan. His slogan he shares at the end of his program, and it's, see a need, fill a need. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us to do by washing feet. We need to be looking for how we can serve. See a need, fill a need. Sold out. Nothing but upgrades from here on in. But I like myself just the way I am. Oh. We can't afford upgrades. Let's get them. Hey, 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 what are you doing? Don't throw me. Hey, isn't that the guy that fixed Fender's neck? Yeah, that guy fixes bots. Yeah, that kid can help you. Face yourself. You're about to get very popular. Only those with insurance. Oh, I forgot. Everybody, come on. Parts, man. I need parts. You don't look that bad. Hey, everybody. Spare parts! Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's wrong with you robots? You should all be ashamed of yourselves. Why do you have two noses? One's for showing, one's for blowing. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, could you look at my arm? Uh, nice grip. Black iron? I can't get rid of this spare tire. I am losing my mind. Back off! Back off! He's got his own dreams that won't come true! See a need, fill a need. Wait! Who wants to get fixed? We'll get that last scene. I left it in there just for fun. Um, we live in a world, there are a lot of messed up people, a lot of people who, who need help, a lot of people who just need things. And this, even though it's animated and stuff, it shows us that we can do things. So as we, as we wrap it up, there are some questions that, that you need to be asking yourself. Who do I know who needs to have their feet washed? Whom can I serve? What opportunity has been presenting itself? And maybe you've been trying to ignore it. What talents can I be using for Christ? How can I exalt my Lord and Savior to those around me? You see, service, it begins with a relationship. Getting to know people and helping them. Jesus lowered himself to die on a cross so that we can have a relationship with God. It all begins with service. Whose feet are you willing to wash? Because washing feet reveals about you.